This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to the final edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast for 2016. Sorry we've been away for a bit. It's the holidays, everybody's busy. There have been fights, but we've had other stuff to do. We're glad to have you back. We're glad to close out the year with one more episode. I am your host, as always, E. Spencer Kite, joined by my punch-drunk predictions partner in crime, Patrick Schwicklinski. Patty, we're wrapping up the year. It's been a crazy year. We're going to get into our highlights and sort of the things that jump out at the end of the year. But most importantly, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. How's the, how's the family time been? Oh, Merry Christmas to you as well, my friend. And, and you know, it's been, a, it's been a fun time getting some downtime to kind of relax, sit back and, you know... Uh, spend time with family and friends and loved ones and you know all, always nice I, I was back on salt spring island for a little bit shout out to the rock um so you know it, it was nice to kind of unwind a little bit and now get to reflect on a crazy 2016 year in uh in mma history probably one of the most if not the most newsworthy in probably you know the ufc's history yeah definitely i think it kicked off my on the rise column for UFC.com this week with that statement of like, this is the final card of what will end up being, in my opinion, the most historically significant year in UFC history. I know there's probably some other stuff that's going to transpire in the years ahead, potentially with unionization or representation and things like that and seeing where things go under WME IMG, but all of that starts in 2016. So I think, you know, 20 years from now, when we're looking back at, at landmarks in the history of the sport and in the history of the UFC, this year is definitely going to go down and be one that we look back on with a lot of different things. We will get to that later because we have a fight this weekend. And as we were talking about off air, as we were just getting ready to start, it's on Friday. And we both kind of have been forgetting that a little bit as it comes up that, oh yeah, these are on Friday. We need to get started. So let's dive into UFC 207. I don't know if you know this, but Ronda Rousey's back. Who? <laughs> Who's back? <laughs> this fight card, of course, is, is, as I said, on Friday, December 30th in Las Vegas, headlined by the return of Ronda Rousey taking on Amanda Nunes for the women's bantamweight title, co-main evented by Dominic Cruz defending the, bantam, the men's bantamweight title, I guess, against Cody Nolove Garbrandt. Let's start with the main event. I mean, we got it. We have to start with Ronda. This is where we we have to begin. It is the big thing. It is what they're building this entire event around. The poster just says she's back. It doesn't mention Amanda Nunes, though her picture, thankfully, is on it. Before we get to the matchup itself, there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks about sort of the MMA media blackout of Ronda Rousey and the fact that she's not talking to MMA media. They released the schedule for this week in Las Vegas, there's no press conference. There's no media opportunities with Ronda or Amanda this week. That has to be noted. I think that's been left out of some headlines. It's been buried 
under the fold a couple of times because it's easier to say, oh, look, at Ronda's not doing it. Neither is Amanda Nunes. It's, it's equitable this week, but it hasn't been equitable leading up to it. Looking at that, what's your, I guess, perception of it, your read of it? Is it Ronda doing what she said of, of the like, look, it was too much before and the media turned against me. And so I'm, I'm doing this for myself. Or are you more on the side of there's some psyche issues here and, and she doesn't want to deal with maybe the people that know all the context and have some questions that, you know, Ellen DeGeneres isn't going to ask her. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I think it's a little bit of both. You know, when when you kind of look at the situation, obviously, when you look back at UFC 193 and the whole situation with her losing so devastatingly to Holly Holm, you know, that's a clip that was played over and over and over again, you know, after, you know, in the months kind of after it happened and, you know, kind of being in that space, being in that mental headspace when you were an undefeated you know, absolutely dominant champion for, for such a, you know, uh, intense period of time in, in the sport. And, and you were so popular, reached such a mainstream following um, to go from that and then lose so devastatingly as she did. I mean, I think anyone in that position, you know, w- would want some time away from, you know, the media, from, you know, all these eyes being on you all the time. And I think that, you know, uh, everybody handles losses differently as well. And I, I don't think that, you know, the people who are out there comparing um, Ronda Rousey's kind of absence from the media to, you know, maybe someone, you know, um, like a Conor McGregor, even kind of her absence from fighting that she hasn't fought, you know, in over a year since that Holly Holm fight. And they're comparing, you know, that to someone like Conor McGregor, who when he lost to Nate Diaz the first time, obviously, wanted to get right back on the horse and fight Nate Diaz, same, you know, 170-pound uh, kind of fight, and wanted to prove to everyone that he could, in fact, beat Nate Diaz, and that's what he did. But not everybody handles the same, you know, uh, handles everything the same way as Conor McGregor, as we know. Um, so I think that, you know, for Ronda Rousey, uh, it's definitely been a roller coaster ride of, of emotion, I mean, in the last year and a bit. I mean, obviously, I don't know what, you know, is going on with her personally, but I think that it's it's an interesting time for her right now that um, she's she's decided not to talk to the media. I think for her, it's more so um, focusing on what she needs to do in order to win. She knows how important this fight is. She knows what the stakes are. Um, obviously, you know she's had her you know quarrels with the media in the past, but I think it's more about her than it is the media. You mentioned in there, obviously, you don't know what's going on in her head. That brings me to the joke of, you mean you're not Dr. Patrick Shiviklinski? Why do I have you on the show <laughs> if you can't diagnose Ronda Rousey's mental state of being? You mentioned the Connor thing, and, and it is something that a lot of people have talked about. You and I have talked about it on this show. And while I agree with you that obviously everyone reacts to things a different way, I think there is some validity to looking at the comparison and looking at the way the two of them handled it. Obviously, the two biggest stars in the UFC last year and coming into this year, Ronda loses and it's, you know, the hoodie, the sunglasses, the covering up under a pillow, walking out of LAX with Travis Brown, doesn't want to talk to anybody. Connor gets beat in the center of the cage and he shows up in a three piece at the press conference 
and says, fair play to Nate. This is the game. This is what happens. I will get better. I will avenge this loss. Now, maybe some of it is that Connor has experienced defeat in the past. And so he's a little bit more equipped. He had his take my ball and go home moments before he got to the UFC and did the like, you know what, I'm, I'm out of this sport. But I, I just, I'm not sold on it being, I think this is going to say, I'm going to play pop psychologist for a minute. And I think Rhonda, I think for me, it looks like her feeling like this is what she needs to do, but it not necessarily being the right thing or, or being, I guess, exactly what's going to like, I think we talked about it after the loss to Holly home and sort of a couple weeks or months later of like, is she going to stay at Glendale? And the fact that she stayed, I think that to me is a bigger thing she needs to change than talking to the media. Um, they've, they've put out this narrative and this story has been that, oh, Rhonda was always great and she did everything that was ever asked and it didn't matter who you were, you, she would talk to you. That's horseshit. That's <laughs> not true. She talked to the major outlets. She talked to UFC broadcast partners and larger mainstream media entities that got interested. She wasn't talking to the province. She wasn't talking to, you know, the secondary or tertiary MMA outlets. She was talking to ESPN and fighting and having stuff, you know, they were having media days at GFC. They were having lunches where she would go and, and the media would congregate to her. So it's not that she was always on the phone with, you know, you, me, some random, she was doing what superstars need to do. To me, it, it was very similar to a Hollywood press junket. Now, I understand The Rock in promoting Baywatch doesn't then have to go and fight at the end of that, as Rhonda did. And maybe she did need to do a better job of it. But it feels to me like the switch from I'm doing everything to F you, I'm doing nothing is an overcompensation for just the way things went. And and I'm so interested in this fight, and we've talked about it since it was announced. I'm so interested to see what we get from Ronda. I guess the first time we'll probably see her, if they do open workouts and she's there, is open workouts, but primarily on the stage, four weigh-ins, um, and then in the cage on, on Friday night, because this, to me, feels like a make-or-break moment for her. It feels like... You know, putting lipstick on a pig a little bit of these are the things I'm going to do and this is going to make everything better because I'm still this dominant force. And I don't know if she's addressed the actual like technical mixed martial arts issues that helped contribute to her getting kicked upside the head in Melbourne, Australia. And so Absolutely. it's going to be really interesting. And the flip of that, I guess, for me is I'm glad Amanda Nunes doesn't have to do media on her own this week. Um, I'm glad she's spoken out in the week prior to this and said, look, it's kind of crap, but I'm here and I'm willing to do it. And I've been planning to fight Ronda for a long time. So it is what it is. Let's do it. Um, super interesting fight. So, so much, I think of, of how they frame and start up 2017 hinges on this fight because if Ronda loses, we've talked about it. It feels like she'll be gone. It feels like this will end up being her last fight. If she wins, it sets up other possibilities of maybe two titles, of maybe, 
you know, that rematch with Holly Holm, maybe it is for two titles since Holly Holm is fighting Jermaine Durandamy for the, the new featherweight title in a couple of months time. So very impactful fight, lots and lots of storylines to sort of track with it going in, which brings me to the actual brass tacks of things. Who you got and how? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, let, let me just preface that by kind of going going back to what we were just talking about as well. I think that also when you consider this whole situation with, with the media, I think that, you know, given what's happened and given how much actually, um, you know, this has been a story within itself that Rhonda hasn't been talking to the media, I think that she's adding even more pressure to herself in the fact that now people are looking at it like, okay, she's focused, she's going to come in here. And, you know, the casual fan is looking at it like, well, you know, she she's a very focused person right now. She's not talking to media. Okay, she's got something up her sleeve. She might come in there and, you know, piece up a man in units, <laughs> which could very well happen, potentially. Um, but it could also go the other way, right? I couldn't and- agree with you more. The, de- <laughs> the deck is 100% stacked. Like, I don't know that I, I can't think of a champion that has gone into a fight with less pressure and less responsibility than Amanda Nunes right now. <laughs> because as much as you have, to, as much as the UFC has taken the sell this fight on Ronda tact, and Chappie and I talked about it on the last Friday fight talk, he thinks it's the right way to go. I think it's absolutely crazy because as you said, it puts more pressure on her shoulders. She now has to, like, we know that she wants to go out and perform and avenge her loss and get her title back and show that she's still the baddest woman on the planet. But all that pressure is sitting on her because everything is built around here comes the baddest woman on the planet again. And that thing that happened last year was just a blip. Just you wait and see. Whereas if you spread that sort of build and, and conversation equitably and maybe even build Amanda Nunes up a little bit of, look at this is the woman that just rolled into UFC 200, got promoted to the main event at the 11th hour and just blasted Misha Tate, probably setting up her retirement against Rocky Pennington. Then the then it's there's a little bit of an out for Ronda almost of like if it doesn't work and it isn't as easy and as dominant as you know, the Alexis Davis fight or the Kat Zingano fight or any fight prior to facing Holly Holm, then at least there's that that softening of things. But as you said, right now, it's just 100% pressure on her shoulders. And I don't, I mean, she said going into and coming out of the Holly Holm fight that, that there was too much pressure. It's all still there and probably then some. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's been magnified, I think, now even more so than ever and you know going back to who i'm gonna pick for this fight i mean we've said it time and time and time again it really (laughs) depends on the mental state of ronda rousey and that cannot be you know um you know under uh, you know uh like it, it can't be emphasized more the fact that it's so important going into this fight to see which ronda rousey comes in you know um and if she does come in with that kind of, you know, swagger that she's had in the past that, you know, she's come very focused and she just wants to, you know, fight and be the best. I think she's the best out there and she could, you know, come in there and, um, you know, dominate someone like Amanda Nunes, um, in a hurry, I think, because Amanda Nunes is the type of fighter. She's a forward pressure fighter. Um, one of those fighters that 
you know, uh, Ronda Rousey has traditionally done well against. Um, if she comes in there with, you know, her head on right and, and, and really is just focused on the task at hand and nothing else, I think that she can win this fight. Now, that being said, <laughs> <laughs> on the flip side of that, obviously, there is also a, a strong possibility that we could get a Ronda Rousey that her heart just isn't in it anymore. You know, mentally, she's not in it anymore. And, you know, this could be a, a curtain call because, you know, Amanda Nunes is a very dangerous fighter coming in here and even having a shred of doubt in yourself. Uh, she, she can exploit that in a hurry. And I think that now that the aura of invincibility has been kind of lifted and Amanda Nunes is fighting, uh, you know, Rousey post home, I think that, you know, plays in her favor. So as of right now, and I know this isn't, you know, this is going to sound like a cop out. But I'm still on the fence. I still have not decided. Got to give it a couple more days to stew. But I'm interested in what you think, because um, because I'm I'm kind of you know still on the fence. <laughs> I love the hedge. I love the fact that it's a tease for the punch drunk predictions, which will come out on Friday morning to queue up UFC 207 on Friday afternoon and evening in Las Vegas. For me, there's, I mean, there's, there's so much into this. One of the things I'm very interested about in terms of stylistically, you mentioned Amanda Nunes being a forward pressure fighter. The thing with Ronda is that one of the biggest things for me that I want to see is can she break from that pattern of being the aggressor, of being the one that, that sort of initiates all the action and initiates positions? It's what got her in trouble against Holly Holm, I think it take you know, this is where I would have loved to have seen another fight and, and would have loved to have seen more than just really bad shadow boxing exhibitions and things <laughs> like in bad bad training videos. Oh, no. <laughs> because a a counterfighting Rhonda and someone that, you know, sets traps and lets Amanda come forward and, and finds entries from that can absolutely win this fight and be that dominant talent that we saw. But that Ronda that fought Holly Holm that comes forward and charges and tries to initiate and just believes that she's still going to bully a big, strong woman who has fought at 145 pounds in the past and has blistering power that we've seen still feels like a bad recipe for me. I'm not, I don't, I don't have a, a definite either way either because I'm the guy that usually in this situation looks at the beaten former champion, especially when it's such a, a shocking defeat. I know with the Jose Aldo loss, if they rematched right away, I was like, I still think Aldo's probably going to win because it was 13 seconds and and I have so much data on him being great. I have so much data on Ronda Rousey being great that I'm tempted to just be like, she'll have figured it out and come forward. But we don't know because we haven't seen anything of her. She's not talking to anybody other than, you know, giving coy smiles to Ellen and talking to Ramona Shelburne, who has become sort of her her mainstream media biographer at this point. And that's not a knock on Momo. She is a phenomenal reporter. Um, if you don't follow her work and you don't, if you're not an NBA head, then maybe you don't necessarily follow her work, but she is an amazing journalist, an amazing reporter. I feel like she's sort of gotten shoehorned in here and become the, the de facto Ronda press agent a little bit. And that's unfortunate because it means there's some stuff 
that she's she's just not going to say or necessarily include or be given the opportunity to include. Um, all of which leads to just giant question marks going into this fight on Friday night. So I, like you, am gonna gonna press pause and make people hold out for the punch drunk predictions to figure out who it is. I can see it going either way. I'm leaning one way, but but we'll divulge completely on Friday morning on Keyboard Kimura, which is the province.com slash MMA blog. This is the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. E. Spencer Kite, Patrick Schwicklinski getting into UFC 207, which closes out the year on Friday from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Co-main event, still in the bantamweight division, switching to the men's side of things. Dominic Cruz, Cody No Love Garbrandt, a fight that has been brewing more or less all year, I would say since about May when, when Cody went out and just starched Thomas Almeida, um, really ratcheted up when he beat Takeya Mizugaki at UFC 202, and Dom was watching from the bird's eye seat eating an apple, and Cody said, you know, let's, let's do this. We kind of got the feeling then that this would be the fight that happens. There has been a bunch of trash talk back and forth, some good Dominic stuff, some not so great, some of Cody's stuff, <laughs> but it's a hell of a fight. Like strip away all of that stuff. It's a hell of a fight because you got a guy in the challenger, Cody Garbrandt, who is a crisp, clean, swift, powerful boxer who has just been settling fools against maybe the best in and out footwork, elusive, Hitch in, hitch in, slip away guy in Dominic Cruz, who looked great against Uriah Faber, who looked good in his return fight to win the title against TJ Dillashaw back at the start of the year. This one's awesome to me. And, and I've said for the last couple of months that Bantamweight is my favorite division right now because we have this matchup and some of the other stuff going on. I can't wait for this one. I'm, I'm just over the moon about this fight. Let's start with. With the buildup, have you been satisfied with the buildup to this? Is it getting enough attention that this is an opportunity to either carry Cody Garbrandt to stardom should he win or kind of solidify Dominic Cruz as, you know, obviously not Conor McGregor's status, but in that group below, maybe above DJ, but not quite it kind of in that John Jones stratosphere, maybe, or the Daniel Cormier stratosphere where, where he can be a pay-per-view draw going forward. Or is it just, just a really great fight that fight nerds like us are going to get super excited about and casuals are going to be like, yeah, whatever. These are little dudes. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I think it's, uh, you know, there's been, there's been kind of sprinklings of, you know, uh, the potential of, you know, these guys becoming, you know, mega stars in, in, in the near future. Um, I, I think we've seen, you know, here and there, um, uh, you know, the exchange on, on Fox is, is one thing that comes to mind that a lot of people saw that on TV. You know, I, I had texts from guys who, you know, who don't really watch MMA that regularly. And they saw that they're like, who is this Cody Garbrandt guy? What's his deal? Um, so did they, did they like his line where they're texting you because of the line that I'm not going to say, because we won't get into that because to me, it was a good attempt. Like I understood where he was trying to go with it, but the delivery of it just wasn't crisp enough. Like it just, it felt like it needed a little more explanation. And I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, Dominic followed with a, like, what are you even talking about? Which is (laughs) just the classic Dominic Cruz, like. Oh, burn. And <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
it has, you know, it has had some moments where, you know, um, I, I look at it and I'm like, man, you know, uh, th- this rivalry is definitely, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't even say rivalry yet. You know, they have, I mean, <laughs> right? He, they haven't fought yet. So there, there's no rivalry really there. But this, you know, uh, build up, I guess, this beef between these two guys um, is very real. I mean, th- these are two guys who do not like each other. And from Cody Garbrandt's side, you can feel that in a major way <laughs> <picture> too. <laughs> yes, he he definitely despises Dominic Cruz and everything he stands for. He hates everything about the guy, um, you know. And I, I think that it's one of those fights that uh, has the potential to be a really, really um, you know defining you know championship bout in that bantamweight division. Um, these are these are two I think guys who you know should be in the positions they are obviously Dominic Cruz uh came back um split decision victory over TJ Dillashaw but I mean you you think about what he went through to get to that um you know there was obviously some controversy whether he won or whether he didn't win that fight but you know he got to that moment and he won the fight and I think you know everything you know that that happened up to that point and you look at, at the whole situation and you're just in awe um, with Cody Garbrandt, I think obviously, you know, he's a young guy and, and a lot of people have said, oh, well, you know, maybe, you know, he's, he's too young or he's, he's, hasn't beaten, you know, enough guys to, you know, earn this title shot. And that can be true as well. But I don't remember seeing a bantamweight, you know, um, with his kind of speed, with his kind of viciousness, with his kind of intent to hurt in a long time. And, and not only that, but a guy that actually does it on a regular basis, right. a guy who can repeatedly do that. He's not um, out there just saying, I'm going to knock you exactly. out and then winning decisions against guys. Like he's not pulling the old Michael Bisping move of I'm going to knock him out in the first round yeah. and it goes 25. And you're like, Mike, no, nobody believes you're going to knock him out in the first round. Yeah. He's yeah. saying, I'm going to take his head off. I'm going to break his jaw. And then he goes out and absolutely plants Thomas Almeida and absolutely plants Takeya Mizugaki to, to get this spot. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that, that's the such, you know, such a compelling aspect of this fight that you have this guy who, I mean, and even the way that Cody Garbrandt moves and, and, you know, I've seen it in his last couple fights and I really tried to take some time to really kind of watch his last couple fights with Takeya Mizugaki and Thomas Almeida rewatch those. And just the way that, you know, he moves, he's so quick. And a, and a guy like that, who is as fast as he is with as much power in his hands as he has. I mean, Dominic Cruz has beautiful footwork and, and may very well, you know, uh, be able to uh, avoid some of those shots, but can he avoid all of them? I'm excited to see, uh, you know, if he can. (laughs) That feels like you might be leaning towards and new as opposed (laughs) to, and still, I'm sure I'm probably not going to get an actual pick from you again, which, you know what, we're not even going to do the pick. We set up the first fight as you're going to have to find out on Friday. We're going to do all of them as you're going to have to find out on Friday. So we're saving picks. I'm in agreement with you. I, I think everything that Cody has done to this point. Yes, he's been kind of hustled into this position because of the beef, because he's a fresh contender, because Dominic Cruz has taken an interest in this guy and wanted to fight him rather than doing a rematch with TJ Dillashaw, which was a very close fight. Um, I mean, you mentioned Cody clearly having, 
I don't want to say hatred because I don't know what's in his heart and stuff like that. But like, he clearly does not like Dominic Cruz. He clearly, they rub each other the wrong way. It is oil and vinegar, um, oil and water, whatever that saying is. <laughs> the funny part to me, and, and I'm going to get to talk to both of them tomorrow on Tuesday morning. If you're listening to this on Monday night when it goes live or Tuesday morning, I'm going to be talking to them shortly as you're listening to this. It always seems to me like Dominic just really enjoys that side of things. Like he just, I mean, he said when they started, this bout started taking shape that part of why he wanted to fight him is because this kid is super emotional and I want to just pick on that. And I want to just use that to my advantage. I mean, anytime somebody sits there and says, listen, buddy, I bought a house off beating your teammates. <laughs> Amazing. There's no way that that doesn't just fire you up and make you want to go in there and rip his head off. And the thing that Cody Garbrandt can't do on Friday is go in there and try to rip Dominic Cruz's head off and chase him around the cage because a lot of great fighters have tried to do that. And so far, no one has been able to do it. Yes, Uriah Faber beat him way back when, choked him out. It's a different Dominic Cruz. You can make your arguments about TJ Dillashaw beating him in January, but Cody Garbrandt isn't that style of fighter. He's not going to be able to match Dominic Cruz necessarily in the footwork movement, keeping him guessing range. So he has to pick his spots and he has to find his moments and make the absolute most of them, make every one of those big shots that he fires count. And that's going to be super interesting to see because... You know, Dominic, Dominic Cruz hasn't let guys do that lately. And for being off as long as he was, for dealing with as many injuries as he has over the years, he went into that TJ Dillashaw fight, fought him ultra close, got the nod, went into the fight with Faber at UFC 199. He wasn't 100%. He came out with a little bit of a foot injury. This dude is just... And, and he's still winning these fights and he's still looking really good. And so I wonder if... You know, with with two fights under his belt, with back-to-back camps, without any serious setbacks or major injuries, if we don't see an even better version of Dominic Cruz this weekend, Friday counts as this weekend, mm-hmm. um, in this one, because it's, it's crazy. And I mean, regardless of where this goes, Bantamweight is absolutely one to watch. There's another fight on this card, TJ Dillashaw and John Lineker should probably set up the next number one contender the next title challenger. Um, both of them would be interesting matchups for either of these guys. I would kind of love to see the alpha male versus former alpha male possibility of Cody and, and TJ, but we'll get to that sort of in a 2016 podcast once we get through this. Um, going to be an amazing fight. And, and like I said, we're not going to do picks because you're going to have to read the piece on Friday on Keyboard Kimura. It's the Keyboard Kimura podcast on Province Sports Radio. ESK, Patrick Shaviklinski, looking at UFC 207 Friday in Las Vegas. And we wanted to actually touch on a fight that isn't happening or a fighter that is no longer appearing. And that's former heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez. For those that maybe didn't know, didn't hear, um, over the weekend, I believe, or at the tail end of last week, Cain Velasquez was... Removed from this fight card, the Nevada State Athletic Commission failed to approve his license due to some medical issues. Kane had said on that MMA AA conference call that he already had a surgery scheduled. We know that that is set for January 4th. 
Um, he's been having some back issues. It's causing some issues with his legs. He mentioned on Ariel Hawani's show at the start of the week that he's been using medical marijuana to help him get through camp. So that was going to be an interesting little wrinkle. It is legal in California where he lives. Um, but we're not getting it because the NSAC has, has just said, you know what? You're not fighting. You're not in, in physical form to go. His fight with Fabricio Verdum that we had all been waiting for to see sea level Kane against the guy that dethroned him at altitude in Mexico City is gone. And my question to you is, is now looking at Kane Velasquez and where he's at in his career, despite being a guy that has a 14 and two record. Um, his only losses are in championship fights. He has been a two-time UFC heavyweight champion. Is he like the greatest to maybe not quite do it and, and not quite live up to his potential? I've been trying to come up with a sports correlation all week for a column that I'll write in the next couple of days, and I haven't gotten the right one yet. Is there somebody that stands out for you that, be it sports or pop culture or whatever, that it's just like you see the greatness, you see the potential, and you just see it derailed and cut short? Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like, is I he, is he biggie? <laughs> I mean, damn. Like, I mean, I know he, that's high praise, but is he biggie? Like biggie he, dropped he, life or death. And it was just like, man, this is going to change everything. And, and we didn't get to, cause he wasn't around. Yeah. And I don't know if Kane, like Kane to me on that rise. And I look back at his rec, his resume and like the, the shitty part to me, and I said it to you, I think as we were prepping for this and talking about getting getting to this subject, is that Cain Velasquez was healthy and active and kind of staying fighting at least twice a year, all the way up through to winning the title against Brock Lesnar, and then things went sideways. Yeah, And so it feels like we saw the tease of, like, I might have to use the biggie thing, because it fe- <laughs> feels like we got ready to die and we were just like, this is dope, what's the encore? And the encore came and it was great, but it also didn't continue after that. And it's just like, I'm, you can't see it. I'm shaking. I'm standing here shaking my head at a loss for words. So I'll let you talk because the dude that always talks doesn't even know what to say about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, look, it's, it's such a crazy, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it's been, it's been such a crazy last kind of few years for uh, Kane Velasquez, obviously, you know, and one thing that sticks out in my mind is that, you know, since 2013, he's really only fought twice. Once was against Fabricio Verdum. Uh, we all know how that ended. Um, and then once was this summer against Travis Brown at UFC 200, which was a fight that kind of went under the radar in some ways. But, you know, having watched it, I was just like, oh, my God, please get this guy back right. into championship fight because he absolutely dominated Travis Brown, who is, you know, a very respectable, very, very tough heavyweight in his own right, obviously. So I think that, it, you know, it, we get these little teases of, okay, Kane is that guy, you know, every time, you know, he seems to come back from a situation, you know, of adversity, you know, and it's only really happened twice. Obviously, you know, the Fabricio Verdun loss and, um, you know, the, uh, the Junior Dos Santos loss in 2011, he came back and then he won four fights in a row, was dominating. Obviously, 
He he smoked Junior DeSantos. Poor, poor um, Bigfoot Silva in that first fight back, man. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and you know he definitely, you know, by all accounts looked like the guy, the the best heavyweight that I've ever seen. You know, and and when you when you look at a guy who moves, you know, who moves like he moves at heavyweight, and who does the things that he does with his athleticism, you're just like, oh my god, the potential. Of him, you know, if he could just stay healthy. And I think that's where we're at right now. The third it, fight against JDS was, for me, the greatest heavyweight display I've seen. And I know there are going to be Fedor heads that are like, oh, but what about? <laughs> and it's like, look, no. he went into the fifth round pushing at a hellacious pace, just battering this dude left, right, and center. Had him looking all lumped up and all swollen up like he had had Botox injections and, and like, collagen injections all over his face and looked like he could probably do it for three more rounds. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have so many examples in the UFC, especially in that heavyweight division of guys who are just, well, kind of average in, in some ways. And right. you have guys who are good. And then you guys, have, <laughs> you have, you have guys who are elite. You know, there's a few of those heavyweights out there that are elite guys. And I always thought that Cain Velasquez was kind of on a level of, of his own. He was with Junior DeSantos to a certain point. But, you know, JDS, obviously, he's taken so much damage, much of that, from Cain Velasquez. Correct. And, and you know, I always kind of looked at Cain being on that platform by himself. You know, even with Fabricio Verdum kind of winning that title, even with Stipe Miocic in there, I always kind of look at Cain as being that athletic freak who can do things that other heavyweights simply can't do. And I think that we're in a position right now where we're looking at it and being like, man, if he could only just not get injured so often, if he could get past this stuff, you know, he would be the guy again. And I think that's going to be the story of his career kind of moving moving forward. We're always going to have this situation where, okay, we're excited Kane's coming back, then he's going to do this, then he's going to get the fight with Stipe, um, you know, do this. But it's... You know, it seems to be lately the story is those plans are being derailed. And, you know, it's super unfortunate as as a fan of the sport, as as someone who loves, you know, the sport so much and covers it, to see a guy like that who you know, um, when you really look at the scope of things, I think, you know, for my money, best heavyweight of all time. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> best heavyweight of all time. Um, I've never seen a guy with who can do the things athletically at his size that Cain Velasquez can do. And it, it's just an unfortunate situation that his career has been sidelined so many times. And, and this is another one of those examples. It's, it's just, you know, a, a, a troubling thing for me. Well, and the really curious part going forward for me, and, and I don't disagree with anything that you've said. I've written in the past that I think Kane is the best that, that has come around in the heavyweight division. I think he's now sort of going to carry that asterisk a little bit. His resume is already almost on par with anybody that you look at if you put him side to side with the Fedors or with whoever else has been near the top of that division over the course of the last 15, 20 years. But there's going to be that asterisk because we haven't seen it consistently enough, as you said, in the last few years. The big question mark for me is is now he's 34 years old. He'll be 35 in the summer. He's going to have back surgery. Um, 
not not something that is you know you want to mess around with i think he said they're going to be shaving a piece of bone that interferes with a nerve that doesn't sound like something that's just basic and you're back in six weeks or eight weeks it sounds like kind of a lengthy recovery will probably be on tap and it just makes me wonder if this dude ever comes back um if we're ever going to see that you know we we joke about sea level cane and we joke about that stuff but it makes me wonder if we're ever going to see the guy that beat you know minotauro noguera or that made break brock lesnar break dance all over the octagon i think he looked good against travis brown but he looked a little slowed he looked like he wasn't quite the same pace that he had in those fights with jds obviously years do that time off does that i was looking forward to this fight because it felt like all right, this is where we get to see if if he's got it again or he's still got it. And now we don't get to see it and it goes from we get to see if he still has it to I don't know if we're ever going to see him again. And that for me is already setting up as one of the the big stories and the big things to track heading into 2017 is is whether Kane Velasquez makes it back to the octagon and can ever return to being an elite heavyweight or will he just be sort of that boogeyman that pops up once a year, puts in a great fight and makes you go, man, I remember when. <laughs> it's the Keyboard Kimura Podcast, Province Sports Radio, Patrick Shiviklinski, E. Spencer Kite, closing out 2016 with a look at some of our, or before we close out, we did want to touch on just a couple other fights on the card this weekend, this Friday, UFC 207. I know you're interested in in the opener, the Dirty Bird Tim Means against the Brazilian cowboy Alex Oliveira. So I'm going to let you just style on it and tell people why this is the one out of everything else on this card that you're you're really looking forward to as as sort of like that sleeper fight for you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, like you said, I mean, this card is pretty stacked. So you got a lot of great options here and and there's a lot of fights that I'm certainly interested in seeing. I mean, most of these fights I, I'm I'm really, you know, going to pay a lot of close attention to. But I think this fight in particular, you know, uh, Tim Means is a guy who, you know, I've been a fan of personally for, for a while. He's uh, a guy who always, you know, delivers exciting performances on a two-fight winning streak right now uh, with, you know, wins over John Howard and Sabah Hamasi in his last fight at UFC 202. Um, and he's fighting a guy who's a bit of a, you know, polarizing figure right now. <laughs> You're so polite. I thought for sure you were going to call him a douche. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Um, he, he, he's a guy who obviously, you know, came into that fight with Will Brooks, um, in, in his last fight in October in Portland and miss weight horrendously. We're talking about <laughs> Alex Oliveira, um, the Brazilian cowboy, of course, and, you know, miss weight, you know, uh, weighed in at about 161 and a half pounds and proceeded to defeat will brooks in a lightweight catch weight affair right there were air, uh, there were air <laughs> quotes there and then yeah and then uh obviously you know did his little crotch shot thing there um <laughs> which was you know seen around the world and he was labeled as you know definitely one of those guys that you want to beat up if you're if you're an MMA fighter. And then came so, out afterwards and was like, well, he had said something about my mother and <laughs> that was unprofessional. And it's like, homeboy, you missed weight by six pounds. Yeah, yeah. Let's not talk about professionalism when you got, you know, a guy missing weight by six pounds for sure. Um, I, yeah, I mean, this fight, 
you know, when you take everything and, and pull it apart, obviously, um, you know, Oliveira's situation with being kind of a douchebag a little bit, but um, <laughs> there, um, you know, when you when you look at this fight stylistically, it's a fun one, man. Um, you know, Oliveira's a guy who has an exciting style, a striker, a long guy, actually, you know, in that division, uh, tall dude, and, and so is Tim Means. Uh, these are both kind of, you know, rangy, tall guys. Um, and both guys who like, you know, a firefight. So I'm excited to see, you know, uh, what Alex Oliveira can do against, against a guy like Tim Means. And for Oliveira, I mean, he has a really, really fantastic opportunity coming into this fight, because if you get a win over a guy like Tim Means, uh, your, your, you know, uh, resume suddenly looks like win over Will Brooks, a former, uh, you know, Bellator lightweight champion, and then went over Tim Means, who is a, you know, very game tough vet who's, you know, uh, beaten a lot of, you know, tough guys in his day for sure. Um, you're you're starting to look really good. <laughs> I mean, sets, it, everything. it definitely sets you up for an interesting 2017 sort of just outside of the the top 15 in the welterweight division, which is absolutely stacked. Um Great fight. Shout out to Eric Winter for getting this one on Fight Pass to kick things off because it should be absolutely fire from Jump Street. The one for me, and we talked about it as we were setting up and just making sure we didn't have the same picks for this. You said the words, (laughs) what the hell happens to Johnny Hendricks if he loses? And I said to you, that's the one I'm interested in because we have spent so much time this year and sort of in the last year and a half talking about Anthony Pettis and the struggles he's had since losing the title and can he get it back and is he ever going to be showtime and changing divisions and missing weight and all this different stuff and it seems like somehow Johnny Hendricks even though they're running parallel has been able to skate under the radar a little bit (laughs) because of it um came back after losing the belt to Robbie Lawler and grinded out a victory over Matt Brown at UFC 185 subsequently blue weight couldn't even make it to the scale on Friday in Houston, Texas at UFC 192 in a fight that was supposed to be against Tyron Woodley goes out and looks like a deer in the headlights against Steven Wonderboy Thompson in February in Las Vegas. And then just looks lethargic and, and unsure of things at UFC 200 against Calvin Gastelum. And so all of a sudden you've got Johnny Hendricks going from, you know, the guy that, probably should have gotten the nod against George St. Pierre wins the vacant title to Johnny Hendricks one in three in his last four fights and in dire need of a victory here in a tough fight against Neil Magny. Who's, you know, listen, not a world beater coming off a loss to Lorenz Larkin where he didn't look very good, but has beaten some good opponents. And I think we can agree is sort of a 10 through 15 welterweight in the world consistently. But this to me is like, Johnny, the best thing that happened to Johnny Hendricks right now is that he is under the radar coming into this. And it is the Ronda Rousey card and it is the year end card. And there is so much else to talk about because while Anthony Pettis has been front and center and getting main event shots and co-main event shots and all of that stuff, Johnny Hendricks is buried in, in the middle of the undercard. And, and yes, they are the final preliminary card fight for this weekend's event, but He hasn't had to deal with the scrutiny that Anthony Pettis has, even though I would say he has looked worse than Showtime. And so this fight to me is is really interesting because Johnny has talked about retirement in the past. He's talked about not wanting to do it if it's, you know, not not working for him 
success-wise, not working for him physically. And so this is a big one. Like, he too is a guy that, you know, you want to see what he looks like when he gets off the bus. You want to see that Friday morning weigh-in. Is he going to need the the circular sheet that they now have gotten borrowing borrowing from Invicta and some other organizations instead of going with the towels? Um, is he going to make weight? Is he going to, and then how is he going to look? Because it wasn't all that long ago that, that this was the best welterweight in the world. And now he's a guy that feels like he's on the brink of, of being bounced from the division. So definitely the one that I'm looking out for. But as you said, a whole fight card full of really exciting fights, even the couple fights where, where you may look at it and be like, Oh, I don't know that dude's name. You know, Brandon Thatch taking on Nico Price. Thatch needs a bounce back. I'm very keen on Marvin Vittori, the Italian newcomer at middleweight, looking for his second win. I like the Lewis Smolka-Ray Borg fight. Borg's been training with friend of the show, Brandon Sixgun Gibson. And I mentioned that Dillashaw-Lineker fight. I juxtaposed their names there, <laughs> if, you, if you notice that. That's how excited I am. That should be fire. I cannot wait. This is a great card to close out the year. I'm excited. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Man, like, you know, and kind of sandwiched between that, obviously, I went to, uh, you know, UFC 206, which was a great, great event in its own right. And the UFC's had a great run to close out the year. MSG 206 was a kind of sleeper card that really did well. And now you got this one, which has the potential to be one that everyone's going to be talking about. Um, You know, I'm pumped up for sure. So I started the setup for this closing segment earlier. So we're just going to dive right back into it. We're not going to do the full rundown, but just 2016 highlights for you. When we look back, as I said off the top, going to be a year that is is in the history books with a lot of notations. But what are the things that stand out the most for you, whether it's fighter or just story or fight or moment? You were there for Cub Swanson and, and Duho Choi live and in person. So I'm sure that stands out. But what's the big one for you? Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny you mentioned the, the Swanson-Duho Choi fight because, I mean, in person, that was definitely, you know, my moment that that I was just like, oh, my goodness, I cannot believe this is happening. But in terms of the overall kind of grand scheme of things, I think this was the year of Conor McGregor. Um, you know, when when you look at how everything transpired, Conor McGregor, you know, just became this star that I think even, you know, has surpassed now uh, Ronda at this point. Um, he, he's one of these guys who is just so rare in sports in general, not just in MMA. He's, he's, a, he's a guy who has transcended everything and his performances in the octagon have backed it up as well. You know, everything he goes out there says some crazy stuff that he says, he goes out there and he backs it up. Obviously we started the year, you know, uh, in March, well, Connor's year uh, with, <laughs> with, with, the, with the first, you know, Nate Diaz fight at 196. He came in there and, you know, got beaten down badly. You know, instead of, you know, deciding to take a bunch of time off and saying, listen, the, you know, he's done the exact appro- uh, opposite approach of Ronda Rousey in that, you know, we all we, we talked about this earlier. He wanted to get that win right back. And guess what? He came out there and did exactly that. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, he came in and won the old uh, lightweight championship. And in, did it at easy. Square yeah, made it, it look easy. Made it look absolutely easy. While rocking the mink like Joe Frazier. <laughs> Ab- uh, absolutely stunning. And, I mean, 
you know, for all that he's accomplished inside of the octagon, he's been, uh, you know, he's been all over the place outside of the octagon. You see this dude taking pictures with J-Lo. You see this dude <laughs> taking pictures with Drake in the weekend. Like, you know, you, like. Did you see the thing from the last couple of days? Some dudes at, at a pub in Dublin, like, <laughs> yeah. mimicking, mimicking the Conor McGregor movement stuff with Edor Ido Portal out on the street and this SUV rolls by and pulls up and the window comes down and it's the notorious himself giving them some love. Like just <laughs> craziness. It, yeah. And, and I mean, Got, had know, everybody doing the Billy strut, like, yeah, yeah there, there's nowhere you can turn. I don't think, you know, this year when you turn on sports highlights, when you turn on, you know, whatever TMZ, man, He's when, there. When, he's all. He, he's always there. <laughs> when Mark Gasol is mocking you, Mark Gasol, the most one of the more mild mannered dudes in the NBA, is throwing <laughs> out the Billy Strut after nailing a corner three. You know you've had an impact. Obviously, RTE Sportsman of the Year in Ireland as well. I know Bill Simmons just put out his uh, year in sports review kind of thing on the Ringer, and I know Connor is part of the collage of of sports figures that are in that title picture. So that tells you where he's at. He's a guy that absolutely has transcended. Um, definitely, definitely to me, the, the personality of the year, maybe you don't give him fighter of the year uh, because he had that loss, but, but definitely the biggest single star and entity individual this year, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's going to be so intriguing to see what happens in 2017 for Conor McGregor. Obviously, the possibilities are, are endless at this point. And, you know, everybody's been talking about, you know, this this Floyd Mayweather matchup. It hasn't, you know, gone away. It's been amped up. So, I mean, who knows what will happen. It, it, it's unprecedented to see a guy like that in this sport. It's unprecedented to see a guy like this in sports almost in general. I mean, you know, and dude just has a way of closing out years in style where he is at the tip of everybody's tongue. Last year it was UFC 194, the 13 second knockout of Jose Aldo. He did it a month earlier in New York this year, but I think even with this fight, depending on how things go in the main event, we are going to be talking about Conor McGregor very much in the days immediately following this fight and kicking off 2017 to see when are the UFC going to be able to get him back. Do they need to get him back quicker because Ronda Rousey loses and maybe isn't around or as bankable? So definitely a dude that is, this may have been the year of Conor McGregor, but it ain't. it's not stopping anytime soon. Yeah. For me, um, I was at that fight. I was at UFC 196. It was, it was bonkers. That is definitely a highlight seeing those two fights back to back. Um, the big one for me and, and just the highlight, it's, it's kind of an all encompassing and a catch all is just all of the turmoil, all of the changes, all of the sort of unexpected twists and turns. Uh, we got the sale of the UFC. We got UFC 200 falling apart with the John Jones drama and then the Brock Lesnar positive test and the Connor not fighting on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had nine new champions, not including interim title holders. That's interesting to me. Just a crazy chaotic year. And the really interesting part for me going forward is that 
we don't have answers for some of it. We still have far more questions than we do answers. Ari Emanuel and Patrick Whitesale haven't spoken yet publicly with anybody about their plans for the UFC and the direction they want to go. Um, we then, you know, a couple of weeks ago had the MMAAA pop up and this push for regulation and, and unionization or, or some kind of fighter association really come up. It's obviously kind of dealing with some stress and some weight right now because of some shifting parts, but, but that is a story that isn't going to go away. And, and I think for me, it feels very much like the end of last year where I went into this year thinking, man, there's so much that I want to see. There's so much that I'm interested in going forward into 2016. I'm right back in that same place at the end of 2016 going into 17, which to me ultimately is a testament to the athletes and the people that are putting these things together. Joe Silva on his way out, Sean Shelby, Dana White, the entire UFC crew, because this was a year where you could have just been like, you know what? I'm out. There's a lot of weird stuff, but they've been able to just keep the momentum going and keep interest growing really and getting to a bigger point by utilizing Conor McGregor, by bringing Ronda back and, and by having all this different stuff that has been outside of the cage stuff happen that hardcores are super interested as always in what's going on inside the cage. I think there's more people paying attention. I think 2017 is going to be a super interesting year for this organization, the fighters, the athletes, the ownership, everything. It it's going to be interesting. And I, I honestly, as much as I'm looking forward to putting a bow on this year, taking a beat, taking a breath, getting a little, little very small amount of time between events we get two weeks but then getting right back into it with that fight night event where bj penn is coming back to get bludgeoned by yair rodriguez but that is a 2017 topic to discuss 2016 it's it's been crazy it's been the year of conor mcgregor it's been a year of change it's been a historical year but it's been a really great year overall oh man it's yeah i mean it's been a monumental kind of moment in mma history in the UFC's history, and I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I think that 2017 is going to be a very, very telling year as well of, you know, the direction of this new ownership as well. What's going to happen? We're going to see a lot of these, you know, um, you know, changes in the organization, you know, being implemented and, and things kind of moving perhaps in a different direction. Um, so I'm just excited to see what's going to happen. I think there's going to be so many more newsworthy stories coming out in the next year and uh you know 2016 has been a year where it has been kind of non-stop there's been stuff every single you know day for us to talk about and i think that trend is going to continue in 2017 and it has also been a great year on this podcast um started with chappy laid up and we had to take the reins and we had to start taping it ourselves and learning how to produce and and get everything organized shout out to the crew at province sports for teaching me up on doing this. Thank you, Patty, for riding shotgun the majority of the year. I know I bumped you out for Dwayne and a few other people here and there as schedules conflicted and stuff like that. Thank you to everybody that has listened, everybody that has come on, everyone that subscribes. Um, We really, really appreciate it. It has meant a lot to us to be able to have this throughout the year. I know we missed a couple of weeks here and there, but I feel like we were pretty consistent. It's been a great point to build from, and it has been an absolute pleasure to do it with you, man. So thank you. 
No, thank you as well. I mean, I, I always love, you know, talking to MMA with you. And, and, and I think that, you know, it's been such a fun year. And, uh, you know, the, the Keyboard Kimura podcast is, is always has a special place in my heart. Sure. <laughs> See, and you say that, and I got—I wasn't going to mention it. That obviously sounds a little bit like Patty stepping back. He is. He's got some other ventures that he's going to pursue in 2017. I will let him tell you about that on social media as he gets them up and running and launched. But he's not going away entirely. I will drag his ass back here <laughs> at least once a month. I'm going to try to hold him too, so that we can get in here and have these laughs and and get going. Um, I want to say thank you for letting me beat you down in the Keyboard Kimura <laughs> predictions challenge this year. You do have a chance to make it up, but I think there's 11 fights and you're down by more than 11 and we're not going to disagree on everything. So I'm holding <laughs> I'm holding my toy UFC title in the air like I'm the rock on the top, top rope. Um, so thank you for that. But yeah, man, before we get out of here for the end of, of this year, remind people once again where to follow you on social so that they can stay up on everything that you're doing in 2017. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, at Pat Truklinski on Twitter, at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely look out um, on social media. I'll be I'll be dropping some stuff next year, as, as Spencer said. You know, other other things are coming up. But I'm not forgetting about this podcast. It, it's meant a lot to me to be on it, and uh, I certainly will be on it again. Just taking a little step back to focus on a, a couple different projects I, I'm working on, but you'll hear about those more later. And uh, I will be back in 2017. Yeah, we'll get you on to we'll get you on to plug those and pimp those as we always like <laughs> to do with people. Give them a chance to promote whatever's going on. As for me, guys, like I said, I really appreciate everything that you have done in listening and subscribing and following this podcast even if you're just jumping on twitter to tell me i'm a moron and you don't like my opinions i still appreciate that because it means you were reading and you were listening and that's what i'm going for so thank you for a great year you can follow me as always on social at spencer kite s-p-e-n-c-e-r-k-y-t-e most importantly have a great new year have happy holidays and be good to one another today, tomorrow, 2017, and all the way through. Thanks, everybody. It's been a blast. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Kimura.